So I think we have to think much more about dynamic systems, uh, almost forest-like plantations also along our streets. And I think that will benefit the trees and will benefit us then ultimately too. So, but I think that thinking is is coming in, but it's still in cities not so common. I think we don't really think of the city as a as a forest, which we should sometimes do more. I think. Welcome to Nature Junkie Radio. This is a place for us to explore the wisdom, wonder, and ways of nature connection to help replenish your stoke. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the ride. I absolutely love it when bold visions get smashed together with elegant, practical solutions for impact, especially when the outcome of these solutions means more trees around the world. Our guest today, Cecil Conanendike, is doing exactly that. Cecil is widely considered one of the world-leading experts on urban forestry. He co-leads Nature-Based Solutions Institute, a think tank for the evidence-based greening of cities. He's also an honorary professor at the University of British Columbia with over 25 years of experience studying, teaching, and advising on aspects of urban forestry and nature-based solutions. In 2021, he came up with a pretty cool idea. He launched the 33300 rule for greener and healthier cities, which is being implemented in communities around the world. We're going to go deep into all that. In this wisdom-packed conversation, Cecil shares the basis for the 33300 rule he created, how it benefits mental health, cool cities, and improves social cohesion. We get behind the scenes to understand what strategies and tactics are working well to improve forestry in cities, what cities are doing it well, what the challenges are, and what gets politicians to take action. Cecil shares his vision for how cities will look and feel different in the future, and then we close by understanding how Cecil defines nature and how he microdoses it regularly. Cecil, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Jeff. Uh, thank you so much for making time. I wanted to start out first by covering, you've come up with this really sticky and comprehensive concept of 33300 for creating healthier and happier people and more climate adapted cities. Can we just start by simply breaking down the concept? Can you break it down for us? Yeah, you bet, for sure. So, I mean, a lot of research these days shows right how important it is for us to to be close to trees, to be be close to nature, also in cities. Um, so there's quite some research that says that we need to be no more than 300 meters, which will be like 330 something yards from a nearby public green space. It could be a park, it could be a public woodland or so. Um, and there's even a World Health Organization guideline that says that yeah, five minute walk would be would be great. So that's the 300 bit. Then there's the 30%, which is 30% tree canopy cover in our neighborhoods. So often we see canopy targets for cities as a whole, but of course, I mean, you can have one part of the city that's very green and the other part that's not, but everybody, of course, should have access to, to canopy. So that's why we say 30% for every neighborhood. And there's, there's quite some research that shows that we need to go up to that level to get cooling and health benefits. And then the last bit, I have to be completely honest with you, it's a little bit of a uh, invention, right? To see, to be able to see three larger trees from our window, uh, from our homes, from our office, or from our school, um, and of course that goes very well with thirty-three hundred. But if we do know that from research that actually seeing green and trees is good for our mental health, our well-being. And then I felt like seeing one tree is not enough. So three trees from wherever we are in 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 our cities. 
that's also really uh, an important part. So in, in total, 330, 300. So three is the magic number. Three is the <laughs> magic number. Yeah. And of course, for a Dutch person like me, three, the TH is often hard. So it almost sounds like three. So uh, it becomes a similar <laughs> thing. Hey, quite fitting. Yeah. What are the things you've found from the evidence that being amongst more trees, how, that, how does that impact us? Yeah, great question. So from, from the health perspective, starting with that, right, we know that being amongst, amongst trees, seeing trees, um, also being able to go into tree environments uh, have, have impacts on our mental health, uh, our physical health, as well as on our social health, right? The, the fact that we are more inclined to interact with our neighbors, to have more what we call social cohesion, more social interactions. But there's quite a lot of research, especially on the mental and physical health side of things. So mm -hmm. we know that if you can see trees, you're less stressed, uh, you perform better, you're more creative. It could, could be something related to just kind of like little micro breaks, right? Just looking out of your window, maybe just stepping outside, being with the trees. We know that performance goes up. Um, there have been studies, for, for example, for knowledge workers that show that if people can see trees or even go for a little five to ten minute walk amongst them, they're actually much more effective in their work. So... So I think that that part, the mental side of things is very clear, the performance side of things. Then, I mean, the physical health part, right? If you have a green mm -hmm. environment and you can step out of your door, go into a, a nicely treated street, walk to the nearby park, that of course makes you more inclined to, to be active and to go out more. So, so people who have that actually are more active and, and with that also are more physically healthy. So there's less uh, mm -hmm. obesity, there's less overweight, et cetera. Yeah. So from the health perspective, I mean, the evidence is pretty clear that the, the closer we are to green, uh, high quality green, the healthier we are in principle, irrespective of income levels, you know, culture, race, whatever we, we would look at. That's beautiful. And we'll get into some of the other benefits in a moment. But before doing that, I mean, this was one thing I, I found fascinating in the research when I started studying nature connection a little bit deeper was, you know, some of the indirect effects, right? So if there are more trees in the neighborhood, you tend to be drawn outside for whatever reason. And then you may run into a neighbor, a friend, you chat and socialize. So it builds this, it builds a sense of community, which, you know, improves your overall wellness as well. And same with physical, right? If there's an indirect effect, if there's a park nearby, you're more likely to go throw a ball, walk your dog. So that's really cool. Have you seen anything that you feel like the evidence is quite compelling? or in a good place in terms of mechanisms for what's happening. You know, I've seen some of this stuff out of, out of Korea on phytoncides and blood pressure mm -hmm. and things like that, or, you know, maybe attention restoration theory. What, what do you feel? What, what are, what's your take on convincing evidence around the mechanisms? Yeah, that, that's indeed one of the key, the key questions. Still in the research, <laughs> that's a hard right? one, right? It's a hard one. I mean, <laughs> Correlations are there, and I think causation yeah. is often made very plausible, right? We can come up with good explanations. So yeah. uh, there, there's still some theories. You already mentioned uh, attention restoration theories. It's very compelling, has been around for mm. a long time. But also a theory like uh, our relation to fractal patterns, right? That we, we mm. see fractal patterns in nature. There's something in our brain, hardwired, that actually makes us, for example, more relaxed when we see a tree or we see that fractal uh, pattern. So mm -hmm. uh, so that there are definitely, I think, some compelling theories. Um, and more and more, I think we see also kind of the types of green that give types of reactions. So, I mean, canopy cover gives us um, the, the opportunity to go out and have social cohesion or certain types of trees trigger certain types of reactions, certain types of parks. So mm. I think we're starting to get better in understanding the mechanisms, but we definitely have to yeah, know more about those causation uh, patterns, I would say, also to guide policy, to guide management uh, in the future of, of these green spaces. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those things where I think anybody on the planet that spend a little bit more time in nature, especially among high quality tree areas, you feel it, right? It, it, it's kind of known, but as we start to sort of unravel the mystery here, I'm also kind of fascinated by the mechanisms. I, I find that attention restoration theory holds water for me. Sometimes I've been on too many Zoom meetings uh, for a day. I go <laughs> take a 10 minute walk and all of a sudden my brain can function again. So <laughs> that's yeah. an N of one, but. No, I think you're right, right? Yeah. We all have experienced that. I'm always thinking back at the time when I was sitting in school and, and look, looking out the window, seeing trees. It really helped me to kind of refocus and reshift my attention. So, and I think we've all had those experiences of just, yeah, feeling bad, going out to nature and almost forgetting that, forgetting that we feel bad. It really helps us. And sometimes so studies show that heart rates go down within a couple of minutes just by being out in nature. So those physical yeah. reactions are, are clear, right? They are there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in today's day and age where we have so much technology, I think nature as a solution or trees as a solution for, let's just say, mental health gets overlooked quite easily because we we kind of think, oh, I have my wearable device and, you know, or this or that. I'm tracking my app. But we 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 can easily dismiss nature as like, yeah, is it really going to do anything? But it is quite powerful. And there's a lot of research to to back it up, thankfully. And hopefully we'll get more of those mechanisms over time. Can you talk about the the benefits from a climate perspective? Yeah. So so those are really uh there we have strong causation patterns, right? So we know that of course trees cool, uh they cool the air by shading, which is the the major factor. I think it's up to 80, 85% of the cooling effect is the actual shading of the tree. But then, of course, also to what they call evotranspiration, right? By putting moisture back in the air. It's mm. a bit like if you go into a supermarket where they have those little sprinklers around <laughs> the, the fruit and veggies, right? So, but I mean, by those uh, effects combined, you can actually have a pretty um, strong impact. It could be several degrees centigrade Fahrenheit. It would actually be cooler. So, really, everybody knows that. Well, you can experience mm. it walk from a non-tree area to a tree area and you feel the temperature drop. So so that cooling effect is really important, of course, in times when cities are getting warmer and we face heat waves and, and we have uh, excess mortality because people yeah, with, with conditions uh, already existing, they die during heat waves while they st should have been alive still. Yeah. So I think that that part of it is, is really strong. Um, can we, can we pause there for sure. just a second? What was That's, the, yeah. you said in addition to the just shading, cooling, the, the evaporative effect, what did you call yeah, it? Yeah, the evaporative yeah, effect. So basically the trees, they, uh, they take up moisture and then give that up again, like they release it. Mm. Um, so you get this kind of uh, yeah, high, higher moisture yeah. content, which actually cools the ambient air. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, it, it was new to me, would, if you back up to the problem a little bit, can you, um, can you describe the heat island effect? That was new to sure. me. Sure. Yeah, so we, we know that our cities, because of the, the type of structures they have, right, they, they are, there's a lot of artificial structures, there's a lot of glare, there's a lot of absorbing uh, substances. So the temperatures in our, in our cities, especially in city cores, are higher than in the surrounding landscape. Mm -hmm. So when we see heat waves, often cities are even more affected than surrounding areas because you already have those four, five, eight, ten uh, degrees uh, increases in cities. So... So actually, we see the effects of climate change most dramatically often in city areas where, where heat waves are really a big problem, uh, where people are really suffering. Yeah, it's funny. My dad's on a two-month cross-country road trip, stopping off at an RV park in Texas. And he thought it was funny that they advertised on their site, beware, we have no trees. <laughs> in no. Other words, it's going to be quite hot. It's going to be hot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so cooling, um, the evaporative effect, and then... Um, 
Uh, what are some of the other things around um, climate? Climate. Yeah. yeah. So, so of course, trees also help us to uh, to deal with extreme weather events. For example, uh, heavy rainstorms. Right. So we know mm. you get more of those uh, in our cities, and and often cities, of course, because of the, the, a lot of the the unpaved surfaces, uh, the hard surfaces. Sorry, it's 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 actually easy for the water to just kind of rush off and, and cause a lot of damage. So, mm. so we need vegetation that functions as a kind of sponge that takes up the water and then slowly releases it again. Um, so in that sense, it actually can help us, yeah. you know, without having to install all kinds of new engineering solutions, big drainage systems, we can actually use vegetation, rain gardens, uh, suds, and these kind of structures, right, to really uh, make our, our cities more ready for those uh, events. Yeah. And what, um, it seems like it's a little bit mixed review on the air pollution thing. Is yeah. that is that still true? or And can you give us the nuance there? Yeah, I, I think it is. It is a more is a nuanced picture because in some places trees can actually create tunnel effects, which actually mean or canyon effects. As mm. you sometimes say, so it means that sometimes pollution gets stuck. We do know that trees are really good in kind of uh, taking up dust, small particles, and and uh, holding those on the leaves, and then they are washed off. So so mm. that kind of pollution actually they can really help. But some of the other pollutants, uh, in some cases, they can really help. Um, in some other cases. It's really a matter of good design and, and putting the trees in the right places. So, um, and then of course, on the other end, they also emit uh, what we call volatile organic mm. compounds uh, that can actually contribute to things like ozone. Um, so there is also a question here, yeah, what trees do we put in what places? Because we know quite a lot about uh, kind of the uptake as well as the, the VOC uh, emissions by, by different tree species. Right. So it's it really a lot of that comes down to design, species selection, and and placement, and all the things. We'll get into this in a moment, but yeah. Sure. So yeah. it's it's sort of uh, can help with air pollution if well designed. Is if that, well designed, yeah. yeah, that's right. And of course, I mean they do take up CO two, right, carbon dioxide. So in that sense, they help a little bit with climate change mitigation as well. Yeah. So with the three thirty three hundred concept. So a number of cities have, have started to take this up, right, around the world. Who's doing well? <laughs> uh, I think I heard you mention at one point Seattle was at 28% uh, canopy cover. And But where who's doing well and where where are the places that just need lots more help and are kind of starting at zero? <laughs> yeah, I think depending a bit where you are in the world, right? So so if I look at my home country, the Netherlands, um, we're not doing so well. So the average in, in mm. most of our cities is around 16%, which is, well, halfway there, you could say. Uh, and that's also at city level, right? So even if you look at neighborhood level, you can sometimes go as low as 5 6%. And this is mm. in a country where yeah, warming is really an issue. We just had our first heat wave. Um, mm. So we really have to look at it. But then you have places in, in North America, but also in Europe that are actually getting pretty good. And starting to really increase canopy. I mean, New York City has 22%, which a lot of people are surprised by, but it actually has an ambition to go up to 30. Uh, Seattle wants to go up to 30. You have places in uh, the Southeast in the US, right, that are up to 50, 55% canopy, a place like Charlotte and Atlanta. Mm. And uh, of course, it's, I mean, it's different cultures, different backgrounds, different right. city structures, but yeah. I mean, it, it's possible. And I think even a place like mm. Barcelona, which has been traditionally very dense and very car dominated. They're really pushing now for yeah, moving towards that thirty percent as well. So, and it requires redesign of cities and you know, what I call taking away car habitat and putting back people and tree habitat into our cities. Yeah, let, well, let's talk. Let, I mean, pick whatever city you like, but I'm I'm kind of 
in some ways most intrigued by a New York or Seattle where they're close, you know, it's 22, 28. Yep. What are they doing to close the gap? So in some cases, they're actually removing car habitat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in New York, of course, we've seen that as well, right? Even in Manhattan, that uh, streets are closed off, new public spaces are created uh, along the waterfront, right? Brooklyn, Manhattan, there's new parks being created, sometimes even on on like piers and, and artificial structures. So so I think cities are, are pretty creative. Um, but I think the main thing cities can do is actually to make sure the trees that they have, that they actually become mature. So they actually grow to their full canopy because there you can actually already win quite a few percents. And unfortunately, many of our, our street trees die prematurely. Maybe they're like 20, 30 years old and they don't live up to their 60, 80, 100 years potential. Mm. Um, and then of course, also to stimulate people to have trees in their own on their own properties, uh, have trees in their garden, not to take trees away because they feel they're they're messy or mm. so yeah, there's a lot of different strategies I think that can be applied. And, and typically places like Seattle and New York, they're really trying that from multiple angles, I would say. Yeah, that's great. What if you had to pick universally across uh any cities that are that are making an effort on this, what, what would you say are the top couple strategies typically? Yeah, so I would say finding ways to actually give trees space so mm. to make sure that when you plant a tree there, there's a lot of overground but especially also below ground space right soil volume uh mm. we just had a storm in the netherlands last week and you see exactly those trees fail that don't have underground space so they mm. they don't root well so i think if you can give trees a head start actually it will help also to to reach maturity and i think the second one is to work with with uh with private property owners homeowners to actually uh have trees on the property because mm. most of the of the, uh, the urban force is actually on private land. So so if you don't take that part on, right, you're not going to reach your canopy targets by just street and park trees. So you need to mm. you need to broaden that uh, that approach. And there the US, I think, has been really a forerunner in trying to come with our support to to homeowners, maybe even uh, incentive schemes. And so that mm. we're actually looking at in Europe now as as a as an inspiration. I'm such a sucker for simple but powerful frameworks that enable people to enact positive change at scale. That's how I see the 33300 rule that Cecil helped usher onto the world stage. It's amazing to see the profound impact that the implementation of this rule can have on mental health as well as cooling cities to help save lives during heat waves. In this next part of our convo, we'll understand Cecil's early nature influences and get a behind the scenes look at the tricky puzzle of designing ecosystems within built environments to make 33300 a reality. When did nature come into your life, Cecil, in a way that was meaningful? And it was was there an aha moment or was it integrated? Where did it really kind of hit a point of wonder for you? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. So I, I've often been thinking, and I know that my parents are really good in taking me and my two brothers out to nature. We had beautiful coastal dune areas uh, where I grew up. We had a beautiful countryside with meadows, uh, lots of meadow birds, etc. But I think I remember very distinctly a moment when I was a, a boy. I must have been six, seven years old, and we had this beautiful orchard pretty close to our home. And there was a little mm -hmm. soccer field next to it where we used to go and kick a ball. But then I went into that little orchard and I was just on my own. I don't remember what happened, but I was there laying under the, the apple trees. And there was something about the sense of, of smells. And, and uh, I found some kind of, I guess I found some kind of idea of, of my place in the, in the bigger picture in, in nature. And it was a very strong experience. And um, I think, uh, yeah, that, that kind of sensory experience and feeling that you're part of something big 
I think that was really uh, very special. And I, I said, I do recall it, although it's it's a long time ago now. Right. So you, a common theme here among some nature junkies out there is a few, you had a few things going on. One, you had your parents integrated it with, with you and your family, it sounds like, which is always uh, helpful. But then you you did have a more singular moment in the apple orchard, you know, you were tuning mm -hmm. into your senses, but also what you're describing is a sense of awe, right? Feeling right. sort of small, but seeing your connection within everything. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, I mean, also seeing wild animals. I remember seeing mm. deer or wild boar, right? And looking into the eyes of the animal as it was there on, on the forest road ahead of me. Those kind of like confrontations or seeing other beings, I think it was also part of that. Definitely a sense of awe and, and uh, yeah, really very fascinating, right? The heart rate goes up and, and you, you feel excited. You feel like you're you're a being rather than maybe just a, a human. You're part of, of a wider picture, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, parents, take note. Get your kids out there <laughs> early and often, right? Yeah. And see what happens. So switching gears um, back to implementation of 330, 300. What I want to, my, my day job is brand strategy. So I love to understand the stories that motivate people and where the challenges are. First of all, can you lay out a couple of the challenges? It sounds to me and someone else, it might sound like common sense. Of course, every city should just go do this, right? But it's not as easy just sprinkling some seeds around and it'll take care of itself. What are some of the challenges, you know, as you look to essentially reforest or enhance the forest in cities? Yeah, I think that the key challenge is is often lack of vision or ambition. So mm. even within uh, even within our circles, right, people who are passionate about green, who are greening cities, they often tell me, "Oh, this is unrealistic." But but I think the the error of of thinking made is there that actually uh, we think of our cities as they are today, and cities are of course dynamic, and and even more so today, we have to really rethink them and redesign them and it's a take take out car habitat and so and when you do that all of a sudden it opens up opportunities you can actually without too much trouble start thinking about doubling tree cover green space cover try to integrate it much more into our buildings as we can today so so i think that kind of lack of of people getting stuck in the status quo and, and not willing to to take that leap of mind in a way to look at what what is possible i think for me that has been the biggest Barrier, and then the second, of course, is just a competition in of urban land, urban interest, where mm, yeah. yeah, trees and nature were often not very high on the agenda still. So, although it is slowly improving. Mm. When you're first of all, who are your main stakeholders when you go into a city? Is it who is it typically? Yeah, yeah, definitely pol the politicians. So I would say yeah. you start with the the mayor, the the, the councilman, or the councilwomen. Uh, mm. There's often champions there, and I think it's it's really a, a good idea to get those champions uh, a lot to to come along, right? To to really see it. And mm. with three thirty three hundred, I've really seen a lot of interest from politicians uh, that actually saw this as a great communication tool to to yeah. promote nature in cities and, and livability. But of course, apart from that, it's it's uh, it's community groups, it's not for profits, it's the professionals that have to deliver the vision, mm -hmm. uh, the urban foresters, the landscape architects, the the ecologists, etc. So yeah, yeah. Th there's a lot of different groups involved, and I would say not in the least also businesses and uh, private funders and and people who actually have a passion to to do something good and do something green um, as mm -hmm. well. So yeah, it's a whole range of stakeholders, but but I would say yeah. it does start with communities and politicians in some right. way. Yeah, yeah, you gotta have that vision to to say yes at the top, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and then the, the, the other parts 
parts can fall into place a little bit easier. What is, uh, what do you find in the in the pitch to politicians is the most pivotal in the in the pitch in the story? Is it is it the public health and the mental health side of it? Is it the climate? What what do you feel like wins out there? What's yeah, the lever? I think- I would say both the health and the and the climate aspect. The climate one connected to health is maybe the strongest pitch these days. So mm. the fact, I mean, that we know now from studies that we can actually literally save thousands of lives by cooling our cities through trees. Mm. Um, I think that is a very strong argument and, and politicians do listen to that. Mm. Uh, but definitely also, I mean, they all have their own tree stories. They all have their own relations. They can relate to it. They they do love their cities to be green, etc. So getting to that personal story for politicians as well can be sometimes a really powerful mechanism. I think to to get yeah to get to their get to their minds and hearts. Right. And then okay, so those are the the levers, and that makes a lot of sense. It, and the challenges you mentioned are lack of vision. What are some of the give us some of the the boots on the ground challenges. So you mentioned, you know, there's obviously a lot of design that goes into it. I mean, species selection, diversity, all of that. And and can you speak a little bit more to the, um, I hadn't thought about this until I got exposed to your work, but the the space for root systems, it's kind of an oh duh when you think about it, but so many cities have so much underground, uh, you know, whether it's subways, whatever. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that, I mean, of course, trees need to have space to develop their massive root system. So, yeah. and there we have all, as you say, all that infrastructure. And unfortunately, the underground, below ground space in cities is often very uncoordinated. So, mm. you have the cable people doing something, the sewage people doing something, right? And there's a new uh, high speed internet has to go in. Um, so, I think some examples where cities are, are trying to cluster that and trying to coordinate. And then actually try to optimize uh, tree uh, space also by using things like uh, what we call tree soil cells that actually are kind of containers where trees have room to grow. Mm-hmm. And then you guide cables and so together. But sometimes it also means that we have to start yeah, developing some new uh, standards and norms for what you can combine because engineers are often pretty risk averse, right? So we have mm-hmm. to work with them to see, hey, this is possible. There's not going to be a risk for your infrastructure. So so I think there are some examples of doing that, but it's not being done yet on, on a very large scale, unfortunately. I just recently uh, had Tristan Gooley on the podcast and his latest book is How to Read a Tree. We were talking about it uh, before we started, but I was learning a little bit about different, uh, lots of different things about trees and how to read them to navigate. But also uh, I realized, you know, they have different root structures. Obviously some go deep, some go wide. Do you specifically choose species for cities that, you know what what works better wider or deeper or a combination well, I, of both depending on the space yeah i guess i guess it depends a bit on on where they are right how exposed they also are to because their trees in cities are usually under more pressure so it means they are a little bit less uh strong than they would maybe be in a, in a forest environment or so so you have to yeah you have to pick very carefully and if you have the space to go more broad uh then you would have species for that i think those species actually that have both in a way are more stable, right? But then you would need the space to to have that. Yeah. So it's hard to pick one. I think it depends on the size. It depends on yeah, what kind of tree species you really want to have, etc. Yeah, you're you're making me think now of Suzanne Samard's work. Of course, I'm I'm guessing your friends, but right. when I think about her work and the connectivity between the trees and and more wild forest, I'll say when I think about it in a city landscape, I I feel like there's a lot of a lot of lonely trees. How do they connect? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, and Suzanne's work is really, 
I think very impactful if we really take it into cities because as you say, right, trees are put in boxes, they're very lonely. Uh there are social beings, right? Trees usually mm. grow in, in tree systems. So why would we put them in a little box or or on a on a boring street where all the trees have the same genetic exact same genetic material? So I think we have to think much more about dynamic systems, uh, mm. almost forest like plantations also along our streets. And I think that will benefit the trees and will benefit us then ultimately too. So, but I think that thinking is is coming in, but it's still in cities not so common. I think we don't really think of the city as a as a forest, which we should sometimes do more. I think it's hard to imagine anyone not wanting cities to look beautiful, improve mental health, enhance community, stay cool during heat waves, and even have better resilience in extreme weather. But you'd be surprised. It's not as easy to get people on board with this as it might seem on the surface. As a strategy nerd in my day job, it was a treat to understand from Cecil's work what levers motivate city stakeholders to move into action greening their cities. Next up, Cecil shares his vision for the future of cities as well as some exciting research in the works for understanding the impact of urban forests on sleep outcomes. Lastly, we close with Cecil's thoughts on nature and a couple practical pro tips on how to microdose it. Cecil, you've been working at this for a long time, and I think you have a different vision in your head of what cities might look like. Can you first just paint us a picture of like, if you flash say 10, 20 years forward, what kind of, how do cities look different? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would definitely say that cars are not the, the dominating force in our cities, right? They will be there if we need, cars, uh, some people will need them, but it will be a much more um, well-structured system with parking, underground parking, above-ground parking, uh, electric cars, obviously, but also not really going into every street, every neighborhood, which means that we have freed up space for public green space, for private green space. I think a lot of the green space is going to be more common type of green. Mm. So people maybe have less private gardens, have more common gardens that they take care together as communities. Um, we'll see much more buildings that are green. We will see green roofs and green walls. Um, we'll see larger scale green spaces in and around our cities as, as uh, areas where we control our drinking water, where we have wildlife, where we can go for our really necessary recreation. So I think yeah, cities will look much greener, uh, hopefully, uh, mm. if climate change is not uh, <laughs> starting to kill off all our all our vegetation. So. But, but I do think that there's yeah there's there's examples of places like Singapore and so right. that are actually moving along that path right and and because they're tropical cities they can actually move very fast because vegetation grows very fast so mm. but I do think the cities will look very differently you'll see more green and less art structures less less car habitat yeah I have to what you're describing is a much more a much greater integration of nature in our built environments right and right I have to admit when I first started. Uh, the podcast and digging into to nature research more, I I took on a very binary view of this, but I'm starting, you know, slowly but surely starting to understand, okay, no, we need to actually integrate because it's not like we're going to abolish cities anytime soon. That's where most people live. And, you know, wild places are shrinking. So we need to, we need to harmonize a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think you're right. And I think it requires, for example, for, for architects, right, to start thinking more about maybe starting with trees and nature and actually building around that uh, rather than, because actually the tree ideally would be there longer than the building in many cases. So, mm. so I think that, yeah, that mindset of, of always putting buildings and hard structures first will have to, have to change if we want to make our cities healthy and, and resilient. Uh, one thing I've heard you talk about a little bit as well is food forestry. You see that happening more as well? 
I, I do think that food forestry is going to happen more uh, for the reason that we all love uh, food, right? We all love to assemble mm -hmm. around food, to grow food. People are more and more aware of yeah, local food and, and local harvesting. And so so I do think it's happening. And I think it really has the added value that it is a good social connector, right? That we can actually meet mm. neighbors that are maybe uh, not exactly in the same group as ours and we wouldn't maybe talk to them, but hey, in our community garden, we all assemble and, and grow food together, maybe have a bite. So I think it's a great uh, it's a great way to to meet uh, meet other people as well. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful way to look at it. Uh, food is such a such a social emotional connection and so practical, obviously too. Uh, I remember there's a website. I'm going to forget the name of it. You might have heard of it here in the U.S. I have no idea if it's successful at all. I heard about it years ago. I think through Michael Pollan's uh, work, but it's a website that you can sort of geo track where fruit trees are hanging over people's yards, and you can essentially ah. get free free fruit. It's sort of like uh, urban foraging in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I know, yeah, places like Berlin and Copenhagen, they have these urban foraging apps as well. So you can go and look yeah. for specific things, right? Like fruit trees or or mushrooms. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah uh, that's, uh, I wish we had more of that. I, I'm sure there are probably some apps in the US. I'm just not familiar. I'll, I'll try to post some in the show notes and dig some up. But what do you, you have a lot of research going on, I assume, at the moment and probably lots of different places. What do you, can you give us any sneak peeks? What are you working on? What are you most excited about? in terms of results you're seeing or study designs or what might be coming from your research? I think what I'm really excited about is that we see more and more research uh, that links, you know, green interventions with the impacts they have. So I think it's often has been a bit like, okay, we know the benefits, right? But we have not really always been good in having a baseline and then implementing something and then actually see, hey, this has actually changed things very dramatically. So, I mean, studies I have not been directly involved with in Barcelona, with the Superblock program, where they actually closed off streets and start putting trees back in, uh, mm. in the heart of the city, that actually starts already impacting people's sleeping patterns, uh, people's mental health, uh, medic, medis, medis, medication. So I think those kind of studies really excite me because we can really start showing what you can achieve by by doing certain things, uh, greening initiatives, et cetera. Mm. You know, you mentioned sleep. I'm, I'm a Huge fan, as are most anyone. Most anyone involved in health and wellness in the last uh, five years since the since Matt Walker wrote his book Why We Sleep. Uh, seems like everyone has sleep and circadian biology on the mind. Thankfully, even though we all have a lot of work to do, but even just being able to see the tr the three trees from any window, whether home, school, office, work, wherever you're at, allows you to tune into the. Uh, natural cycles, right? And the seasons and the change. And, you know, that that impacts our circadian biology as well and, and sleep. So uh, it's good to hear that there's some uh, studies going on around impact on this and understanding the outcomes that way. Yeah, definitely. And I would say, I mean, during COVID, of course, that was one of the things that I think uh, people started realizing because they often couldn't go out or very limited, but at least they had the visual access could still follow the seasons, could still see the tree or the squirrel in the tree. Uh, so I think that actually had a, had an impact on our on our lives in a, in a positive sense. Yeah, and I, I remember reading one article uh, that was. I think this happened in a lot of the national parks in the U.S. A lot of, a lot more animals were coming out. And I went, ah, oh, the people. Oh yeah, the people are gone for a while. They started reclaiming their space, <laughs> right? Uh, which was which sort of delighted me. A uh, couple questions I love to ask every guest. Uh, I'm really curious your take here. 
everyone has a different definition of nature. What is what is nature to you? What how do you define nature? For me, nature is 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 really this ensemble of all living beings uh, in combination, of course, with with uh, with the abiotic sense of it as well. But for me, nature is it's everything. Like we are nature, we're all part of that wonderful system, this interconnected system of of living. Um, for me, that is nature. So. Uh, and I, I really don't like the idea of setting ourselves aside from nature. We're definitely very much part of it. And I think the, the rewilding in cities that we're doing right now is really the rewilding of ourselves, of mm -hmm. our minds, to really uh, realize that we are very much part of nature, yeah. however one, much we want to distance ourselves from it. I uh, love that. And then to get really practical here, I always like to end with something people can do. How do you, how do you, I have this concept microdose nature, which is, you know, just small sort of check-ins and tapping in uh, to nature and realizing what's, what's here. How do you, how do you microdose nature regularly or how might you recommend uh, people do that? Yeah, I think that's really crucial. I think we, a lot of gains can be made by, you know, stopping up and, and uh, even looking out uh, at a tree. But, but for me, the microdosing is really to just go on, on short walks uh, during the day uh, and then to try to be in that moment and, and for example to touch a tree and, and to look at the tree and try to see the tree for what it is rather than uh, just seeing the yeah, nature as, as kind of a, a background so i try of course that's that's great as well right to kind of let yourself go but i think to be aware of those other beings that are living in our cities with us uh, that is provides a very powerful strong uh, sense of connection and actually with that also gives you motivation gives you positive feelings etc so so for me the microdosing is really to be aware of, of my fellow beings around me and, and I want to connect with them every single day. So I do that very, uh, very consciously. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of strength in that. Cecil, where would you love to direct people to engage with you or your work? Yeah. So they can follow me on, uh, on platforms like Twitter. So, uh, my, my Twitter handle is unurban forester. So an urban forester would be great. Um, also, some of the the things I've been uh, been writing and so are pretty easily available, but but through Twitter or maybe LinkedIn, uh, people are very welcome to connect there as well and, and keep an eye on the things uh, that I'm doing together with my colleagues across the world. Fantastic, Cecil. Thank you so much. It was is a true delight to talk to you about this. Uh, talk to you about your work. Thank you for doing your work. It is so important, and I love this sticky guideline you've come up with three. 3300. I hope it sticks in lots of cities <laughs> around the country or around the world, I should say. Really appreciate what you do. I'm inspired by it. I think others will too when they listen to this. Thank you so much for saying yes to be on the podcast and making the time and taking the energy, uh, giving us your energy. True delight. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for the great conversation, Jeff. I really appreciate it. When I was prepping for the interview with Cecil, I was so stoked because I think the work he's doing is essential to move us out of this binary relationship between nature and the built environment. I have to admit, I often fall into this mindset of thinking of the two as opposing forces. But now after chatting with Cecil, I see the potential for integration and more holistic solutions. It was an absolute pleasure to learn from him and it left me with a sense of hope, seeing that his concept of 33300 is starting to take root in cities around the world. Today, I'll leave you with these sage words of wisdom from my 19-year-old son, Tyler. Trees are cool. As always, thanks for tuning in to Nature Junkie Radio. 
I invite you to head over to our website at naturejunkielife.com for show notes to learn more about Nature Connection and to sign up for our newsletter. And one last thing, please share how you microdose nature so I can share it with everyone in a future episode of the podcast. It's simple. Just get out your phone, record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute. Tell me your first name, where you're from, describe how you microdose nature, and importantly, how does it make you feel? Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. That's hello at naturejunkielife.com, and that's all it takes. Thanks so much in advance, and as always, thanks for listening to Nature Junkie Radio. Microdose nature and replenish your stoke.